All right, back in James 4. Back in James 4. We'll read verses 8 to 10. Before we go there, Psalm 91. Um, the psalmist writes, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon, on his comment on that passage, he says there are outer court Christians, <clears throat> kind of like in the Old Testament, <clears throat> in the tabernacle in the outer court. Then there was the Holy of Holies where the, the high priest only went in. And Spurgeon says there are outer court Christians <clears throat> and there are inner sanctuary Christians, the ones that actually enter into the presence of God. And beloved, that's what my desire is for not only me, but for all of you. And that passage in James chapter 4 and verse 8, God would not let me get past that passage, not in a bad way, but in a good way. James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. I, it's like the Lord kept that going over and over in my heart and in my mind. And you know, God teaches us oftentimes by repetition. He teaches us multiple times the same lesson. And so that wonderful divine invitation, I couldn't get out of my mind. And to think about that, I begin to ask the Lord over and over again. Because, you know, some I, I don't think we should ever think that we have the complete answer for what the scriptures say. God's always got more to give us. And so I kept asking myself, Lord, how do I draw, how do I draw nigh to you? How do I do that, Lord? And I think that, beloved, if we think we've got it all figured out, then I think that God won't speak to us anymore. But, beloved, I asked the Lord, and I thought, by devoting myself to you through the means of grace that you've given to me, like through the Word, yes. I mean, the answer is yes. Through prayer, yes. I mean, listen, I want to draw nigh to God in such a way that he will draw nigh to me. And that's what the promise is. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Listen, this takes spiritual effort, and it takes introspection. It takes understanding the truth of God's word. But beloved, when we come to our reading and our devotions and our prayers, we must come with a desire not to... I don't come to my devotions, I come to the person of God. I don't come to prayer, I come to the presence of the person of God. I come into his presence as my God. We must never simply come, beloved, to our religious duties like chores or just like duties to gain knowledge for knowledge's sake or to learn doctrine. Yes, we want to learn those things and yes, we want to increase in knowledge but, beloved, we want it, we want that knowledge, we, we want to gain that access, not that we might know the knowledge. We don't want to have textbook knowledge. We want to have the, the intimate knowledge of God. We want to have fellowship with Him. We want to commune with Him. We want to understand our God. And I thought, how often do we open our Bibles? 
How often do we open the word and pray, open the word or pray, or come to the gathering and yet we are no nearer to God than when we came? And I'll ask myself the question, has that ever happened to you, Brother Jimmy? Yes. Yeah, I'm just being perfectly honest. If we go out and we're none the better, then I didn't really draw near to God. And beloved, that's the desire. Beloved, we learn theology and we learn doctrine, we gain knowledge. But if we're no closer to God, then what good is what we're doing? And so, so that's what I wanted to talk about tonight briefly. Um, I just wanted to rehearse this passage again. Listen, to not have a visitation from God when we open our Bibles and our private devotions, to not get spoken to by God, that must not be your spiritual normal. It must not be the normal for you. The normal, beloved, for all of us should be that God shows us something in the Word. And I want it every time. Every time I open the Word, I want to hear from God. Yes, this is God's Word, but I want to hear and hear from God in such a way that I know that God has spoken to me. And beloved, that's, that's your Christian life. Each one of us have to have that, that ascent. Randy's going through the Psalms of ascent. We need to be able to ascend in our minds vertically. We need, we need, to, be, we need to come into the presence of God. We need to seek the presence of God. Listen, every one of us as believers, we ought to be advancing. We ought to be maturing. We ought to be growing both in knowledge and in wisdom, but also in practice as we march toward heaven. Our lives ought to be indicative of someone who is marching toward heaven. In other words, it ought to be understood in our lives that that is our destination. And if that is our destination, then we ought to be, I know I think it's in Peter, he says, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And so every day we ought to be nearer and nearer to God. Amen. Closer. With every passing day, we ought to be marching on. Psalm 84, look there. Psalm 84. We ought to be advancing. We ought to be drawing nigh to God. It ought to be apparent. It ought to be obvious in, in our own personal lives beloved, as we march towards Zion, we ought to be being built up upon our most holy faith. God should, uh, listen, do I believe God will help me to lay aside my besetting sins? Do, do I believe God will make me like an overcomer? Because the Bible says we are, we are overcomers. And Romans says we're more than conquerors. So beloved, we need to be going from victory to victory. And we'll see in this Psalm from strength to strength. In other words, we need to be growing. And beloved, we, we should have an expectation of that by faith. Lord, you said that, that in fact, I'll read, let me read the song. Um, not the whole thing, but he says in the beginning, how amiable, Psalm 84, are thy tabernacles, O Lord, Lord of hosts. And look at the, the soul of the psalmist, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Now, why did he long for the, for, the, for the presence of the Lord, for the courts of the Lord? Not just for a building. He longed for it because the presence of God was there. 
That's why he wanted to be there. And beloved, that needs to be our hearts. Listen, when we open our scriptures, we need to, by faith, desire to meet with our God. There ought to be a longing within us. As the Beatitude says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And that is synonymous with hungering and thirsting after God to speak to us in his word. He says, the sparrow hath found an house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee, Selah. So blessed are those that dwell in thy house because of whose home? Because of his presence. Verse 5, O oh, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca, or the valley of weeping, maketh it a well. In other words, makes it like springs of water. The rain also filleth the pools. And in verse 7, they, those that, that love the Lord's presence, they go from strength to strength. And that should be us, beloved. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before the Lord. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians when we talk about this thing of strength. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, when we talk about this thing of strength, and, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, on Sunday, uh, or maybe it was last week. This is not our own personal strength. This is God's strength. And you saw in verse 5, he says, Blessed is that man whose strength is in thee. This is what your faith needs to reach out and grab. And we need to touch this and we need to ask God for his strength. This is, beloved, where we draw on our faith toward our God that he might strengthen us. And listen, the only way that strength comes to you is by faith and by you realizing that you have no strength in yourself and you trust God for it. Verse 7, this is... Chapter 12, verse 7, 2 Corinthians, Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's important because lest I should be prideful through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, an, an affliction designed by God, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So you see how God used the wicked one in Paul's life. Satan is a dog. He's a mean dog, but he's on God's leash. And God allowed Satan's messenger to buffet Paul, but God's the only one that can take that and turn it for good. Paul besought the Lord three times that that affliction might depart. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's our own personal weakness, beloved. We need to trust in the Lord's strength. And this must be taken hold of by faith, beloved. This is trusting in God's word, obeying God's word, and believing that God will give us the courage and the strength to walk by faith in him and his holy word. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, he says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. I take pleasure 
in all those things. Do you see that? That's not a natural response. It's not a natural response. Am I there? I would have to say, I would have to tilt toward the negative. I want to be there, beloved. And listen, if, if I'm going to be there, I need to find God as my strength and not myself. Listen, in regards to Psalm 84, when the people of Israel gathered together for worship, it was, and I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon again, when they gathered together for worship, it was not merely to be in the assembly. It wasn't merely to go to church, but it was to appear before God. And that must be why we open our Bibles every day, to appear before God. That, that must be why we pray. That must be why we gather here with the saints. That was the object of each devout Israelite. And would to God, writes Charles Spurgeon, it was the sincere desire of all these days, of all these who mingle in our religious gatherings. Unless we realize the presence of God in our gatherings, we have nothing. The mere gathering together is of nothing worth, or it's worth nothing, he says, end quote. Listen, you cannot draw nigh to God. You cannot draw nigh to God without being affected, without being changed, without being sanctified. Beloved, to truly draw nigh to God, God will conform us to his image. You cannot draw nigh to God to no purpose, beloved. Philippians 2.12, look there. Philippians 2.12. Listen, if we truly draw nigh to God, there must be an effect upon you if you truly draw nigh to God by faith if you believe God God is going to do his work in you this passage in Philippians 2:12 Paul encourages the Philippians he says wherefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only think about it it's easy to obey in the presence of others that know you're a Christian or it's easy to obey in the presence of other Christians but he says but now much more in my absence in my absence he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling how do you work out your own salvation what is he teaching us is he teaching us that we have to work for our salvation well no we know that's not true but he's talking about the word means to employ yourself in the business of your souls. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. And Paul said, do it. I'm glad you did it in my presence. Do it in my absence. But you know, when we're in the absence of everyone else, we're still always in the presence of God. We're still always in the presence of God. After that, he says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But listen, that won't happen unless you work out your own salvation, unless you draw nigh to God within, beloved. And then finally on this thought, 
We live in the world, but we must not draw nigh to the world. And this is one of the greatest temptations for us, beloved. We live in a world, and especially now in this time of the year, we must be so careful of drawing nigh to the world, drawing near to it. We must resist the world. We must resist the God of this world. We must not, like Lot, pitch his tent towards Sodom. Remember, they looked at that plain, and Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, and he was influenced by the people of Sodom, and he moved into Sodom. Listen, we must not allow the world to influence us. We must not learn the customs and the ways of the world. The world is one of the greatest hindrances, beloved, which will keep you from drawing nigh to God. From drawing nigh to God. And that was the last question I had for myself in regards to this. If I am not drawing nigh to God, what is stopping me from drawing nigh to God? And listen, whatever it is, I want to hate it and I want to cast it out from my life, beloved. Don't forget Psalm 73. Just listen, verses 27 and 28. The psalmist says, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. And listen, none of us should be far from the Lord. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me, saith the psalmist, to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all his works. And so I pray that I wanted to go back um, Actually, I didn't want to go back, but it, the Lord said, go visit this passage again. I pray, that you, I pray that that passage would resonate, and I pray you would hear it in your mind every single day of your Christian life. There ought to be passages of the Word of God, and it ought to be spoken by the Spirit of God in your mind. We ought to remember these, beloved, and think upon them. Listen, this is not something that just happens automatically that you draw nigh to God. This is going to take spiritual effort on your part. But he goes on to say, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now to cleanse your hands is like saying cleanse yourself. It's like saying cleanse your sinful ways and your sinful doings. Let me just show you a few passages. Uh, Psalm 9 in the Psalms, 9 and verse 16. Psalm 9 and verse 16. Psalm 9, 16 says, The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Our hands are what, it's our doing. It's your business, it's what you do. Your hands are what you do, it's your ways. Then you see those two words, Higayon, Selah. And what those words mean is meditate upon this and mark it down. Mark it well. Look also in Isaiah 3.11. Isaiah 3.11. Isaiah 3.11. One passage the prophet here says, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given unto him. Our hands are our doing. Beloved, let your doing be that you are a doer of the word, that you are a doer of the word. 
I know in Psalm 119, verse 9, you don't have to turn there, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? It's like saying, wherewithal shall we cleanse our doing? Wherewithal shall we cleanse our work of our hands? How? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. 1 John 2.29, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, He that doeth righteousness is born of God. So the work of our hands should be, we should be doers, beloved, of righteousness. We know that in the Psalms, Psalm 24, Who shall approach into God's presence? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. That's Psalm 24 and verse 3 through 5. Um, one more, um, Job 17, 9. I'll just read that to you. And so James is telling the Christians of his day, you need to draw nigh to God. You need to cleanse yourselves, cleanse your hands, and in a moment purify your hearts. Psalm Job 17.9 says, The righteous also shall hold on his way, and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. And then he talks about purify your hearts. Let me just show you um, one passage in 1 Peter, in chapter 1 and verse 22. And there are many places you can find this in your own studies, but 1 Peter 1.22 Peter says, seeing you have purified your souls, your hearts, how? In obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In verse 1 of chapter 2, look, he says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, this is how our hearts would be pure, beloved, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I cannot... Help but think of the sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, and I love this one, they shall see God. They shall see God. Now, finally, you'll see that little word double-minded at the end of this passage. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. To be double-minded is to have two hearts. It's to have a heart and a heart. It's to go back and forth between one love to the other love. In Genesis 29, we know that Jacob married two women. He married Leah and he married Rachel. And Leah said more than once, my husband hates me. And she knew that he loved Rachel. He served seven years for Leah and he was deceived by Laban. But now he has Leah and he served almost 20 years. And he had Rachel. And the whole time there's this halting between two opinions. Listen, 
in our walk with Christ, beloved, double-mindedness is reprehensible to the Lord. How do you know if you're double-minded? How do you know if you're double-hearted in your Christian life? Well, you give your best love and attention and your best time to something or someone or to yourself and not to Christ. It's when your love for Christ is diminished for other things. It's minimized. You enthrone something else or someone else and, you, and in your mind, you haven't forsaken Christ. You just don't serve him with the whole heart. And beloved, it needs to be our hearts to love our Lord with all of our heart, all of our strength and all of our mind. With my whole heart, the psalmist says, have I sought thee. And beloved, that needs to be our hearts. You remember what Elijah told the children of Israel in 1 Kings 18. He said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. The people halted between two opinions. In 2 Kings, the Bible teaches of the children of Israel that they feared the Lord, but they served other gods. And so their hearts were divided. Beloved, our hearts need to be wholeheartedly with our Lord. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, you cannot serve two masters for either you will hold to the one and despise the other or you will love the one and hate the other. And beloved, Jesus needs to be our first love. Doesn't mean you don't love your family. Doesn't mean that you don't love your husband, your wife. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is if you love them more than you love Christ, then that's a problem. And the scripture teaches us that. Jesus says, He that loveth father or mother more than me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And sometimes that love can be, it, the indicator of that love for Christ, that it's not whole, is that those family members will cause you to compromise in your Christian life. And you'll allow them to cause you to, to not be devoted to your Lord, to affect you in that way. Beloved, we need to be so careful of that. And so, beloved, let me just finish with First Chronicles, just to encourage you. Um, First Chronicles 12:33. First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 33. I love the tribe of Zebulun. This, by the way, is when all of the people of Israel had gone to, to, to bring the kingdom to David. It says in 1233 of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, they were expert in war with all instruments of war, 50,000 which could keep rank. They were not of a double heart. They were not of a double heart. And then verse 38, one more verse, all these men of war that could keep rank with a perfect heart, their hearts were all for David wholeheartedly they would follow David. They could keep rank, came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. Beloved, we must have one heart for Christ. One heart. We need to love him with all of our hearts, beloved. And so draw nigh to God 
Can you draw nigh to God with a double heart? You can't. You can't. Listen, I pray that you would find this place by faith that you might draw nigh to God wholeheartedly, that he might draw nigh to you. There is no sweeter place than to be in the presence of the living God, beloved. And you have that access. You have that access. You can't draw nigh to God with a double heart. You can't draw nigh to God with wickedness in your heart. You can't draw nigh to God with filthy hands, beloved. And so, listen, shoot for the stars. Shoot for the third heaven. Don't be an outer court Christian, beloved. Be an inner sanctuary Christian because you have that access. You have that privilege. And so, listen, this is your Christian life. It's your Christian life. It's going to take spiritual diligence and effort on your part, but I pray you would take it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, please help us. Oh, God. Father, please help us to, Father, to, to take, Father, our Christian lives seriously. Father, help us to desire to know you, oh, God, to desire your presence, Father. Oh, God, I pray that you would sanctify us with your word. Teach us, Father, every time we open the word. I pray that you would hear our prayers, Father. I pray that it would be the desire of our hearts to pray, Father, that you would visit us in our devotions, in our meditations, Father, while we're at work, while we're out uh, doing our business, Father, when we're with our families. Oh, God, help us to always be drawing nigh to you. And Father, help us not to have a double heart or a double mind. Oh God, help us to be, as that scripture in the Chronicles, help us to be of one heart and may our hearts be for Christ. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.